This is Mark 1, 14 through 20, if you want to follow along. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. There we go. Amazing. All right, you guys ready for a second sermon? Danny B's, Danny B's hiding out right now, but where's he at? Thank you, Danny, for bringing the love, man. That was beautiful. Um, guys, my name is Keith Case, and I'm a pastor here at uh, Providencia, and we've been doing this thing for about five and a half years. Uh, this past year has been crazy, as many of you know. Um, we are in a series right now called Embody, and the sermon's title tonight is called Let's Go. It's the most seven sermon title ever. Uh, if you've ever been on a text chain with Jordan and I, when we get excited about something, it is like, let's go. You know, whether that's to the casino at two o'clock in the morning, wherever it is, we are ready to go. Um, but tonight it's about let's go. And we're in the lectionary, uh, churches around the world reading the Word of God together. I don't know if you know that or not, but around the world, churches following the lectionary, we're all in the same text tonight, uh, out of Mark, uh, that Kirby read for us. And, um, and this, this is the Gospel of Mark that we just heard from, and we'll be here for the next several weeks. We were here a couple weeks ago, um, and now we're coming back to the Gospel of Mark. It is said about Advent that it is like waiting, waiting, waiting. And then once Christmas comes, it is go, go, go. So if you can imagine, Advent is like pulling back the bow and arrow, right? Waiting, waiting for Christmas, and then Christmas is like release. And that's, that's a preview because we're going to sing Make Me Like an Arrow in a second. So, um, so we're like an arrow being shot. And if you really want to understand that rapid pace, read the Gospel of Mark. I had no intention of reading the whole Gospel of Mark today uh, when I was kind of finishing out the sermon, but I ended up reading the entire Gospel of Mark, and it is just like boom, 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 boom. You think like Mark is drink, has had like a ton of coffee before he wrote this, and there's all these phrases that we, that we get um, in the, the Gospel of Mark. Just here in the first chapter alone, we hear at once, at once, and then without delay, just then. News about him spread quickly, as soon, immediately, going into chapter 2. What is the rush, and where are we going? Where is this arrow being fired? I asked uh, Drew, I don't know if he's found it yet because the signal's down, but uh, if you could, Drew, find that uh, song, the Million Song, where it talks about the revelation. There we go. All right. So, a little, a little hint into where we're going here, okay? Um, 
If it all reveals your nature, so will I. If it all reveals your nature, and as you speak, 100 billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all, all reveals your nature, so will I. That where we're going is that all of life, everything we do in life, uh, whether we work, play, sleep, whatever we are doing, that it would be revealing God. That it would be revealing the heart of God. That that's where we are going. The heart of God that Danny uh, so beautifully was speaking about up here. That that would be being revealed in everything, in everywhere uh, that we are going. So where is it we're going? A little hint there. Um, uh, we've been dealing with this pandemic for almost a year now. And, and for me, uh, as a seven in particular, but just my personality, my style, I feel like I have been waiting for a year, not just for Advent, but for a year. And our church is planning here in a couple of weeks. Our staff, we're going to be doing a planning meeting. And I told them, I said, listen, I know we're going to have to plan for the rest of the pandemic, like to kind of make it through the rest of the pandemic. But I also want us to plan for when the, pand the pandemic is over for the parties that we're going to have, uh, for the meals that we're going to have, for the concerts we're going to have, for like all the stuff that we're going to do together. Like, can we start planning that now just to give me like a foretaste of what is coming? What is coming? Where are we going? Like, I just want to be released. As we come to uh, our text tonight, uh, the first thing that we get about where we are going is a hint. And it happens very soon in this text in verse 14. It starts off, John, after John was put in prison. That's a hint. Where is this thing going? Like, the arrow is being pulled back. Release. Where are we going? First thing we get out of the text. After John is put in prison. We have this direction of John going to prison. And then we have this direction of Jesus going out to the lakeside, out to the country, if you will. Uh, the countryside to speak in Galilee. And what is he going to speak? He's going to declare this thing called good news. This thing called good news. And that, that's like... Uh, kingly and even military uh, verbiage there. It's essentially what would happen when a king would come in and take over a land. They would take over and they would send out messengers that would tell good news that there's a new king in town and that there's a new way of life that's coming. So Jesus is out in Galilee talking about this new king, this new way of life. And the man who has made a way for him, the man who went before him, the man who was preparing the way, John, has gone to prison. It's a hint. Where is this thing going? This good news that Jesus is preaching, this good news that Jesus is talking about, the man who was preparing a way, that man, he has begun to taste what this kingdom could be about. That there in this kingdom, the people who are, are bringing this kingdom forth, that those who are about that work will suffer. 
that those who are about this mission, that those who are ready to go, where are we going? We're on that way to suffering. Wow, that's really exciting. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for really getting us pumped up here. Um, you know, Mark is so excited, guys. We don't even get the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. He just skips that, and it's straight to John the Baptist, straight to John the Baptist preparing the way, straight to John the Baptist being arrested. Jesus goes out preaching the good news. By chapter 6, uh, the political party of that time, the empire of that time, will have John's head on a platter. That's what happens to John. And it won't be long for Jesus. And Jesus is out there in Galilee saying, turn from the direction you are going, repent and believe in this new way. Believe in this new way. And that this new way could feel like death. It, it could even lead to death. On Christmas Day, uh, it was a big day for Kemp Powers. Uh, Kim Powers is the, the um, co-screenwriter and co-director of the movie Soul, the Disney animation film. Maybe you've seen it. Um, great film. He was the first uh, African-American to ever be co-directing, co-screenwriting on an animation at Disney. But there was another movie that he did that came out, uh, and he wrote the screen for it by himself on Christmas Day called One Night in Miami. Anybody see it? One Night in Miami, and it is uh, the story of uh, Cassius Clay at the time, uh, Jim Brown, uh, Malcolm X, and Sam Cooke, and they're in Miami. It actually really happened. Uh, they're there for Cassius Clay's uh, fight against Sonny Liston, and Cassius Clay actually wins. Surprise victory. They go afterwards to a hotel, one of the only hotels in Miami at the time that would allow black people there to stay, and they hang out. They thought they were going to be celebrating uh, apparently what happened instead is that they talked philosophy, they talked religion, they talked about the struggle, and they ate ice cream. That's what happened. And out of that story, major things happened in all of their lives. Major things. Uh, Malcolm X would end up leaving the Nation of Islam. Uh, he would lose his life a few years later, or a year later after that. Uh, Jim Brown would end up walking away from football and, and do his life in, in film. And um, Sam Cooke, Sam Cooke would have this major breakthrough for him. It's depicted in the film, and I'm not sure that's exactly how it went down, but in the film, it's depicted that Malcolm is having a conversation with Sam, and he's telling Sam, you know, Sam, you're an amazing singer. You're an amazing, gifted singer. You have this incredible voice, and you've made it on the pop charts, man. You're huge out there. Won't you take your voice and use it for the struggle? And Sam is resistant. He's like telling him, man, you don't understand. You don't understand how I'm benefiting black artists. You don't understand all the things I'm doing by making money the way I'm making money. I'm able to lift other people. And Malcolm continues, man, you've got to put it out there. You've got to use your voice. And then he plays for him an album. He plays for him Bob Dylan's album. And he plays the song, uh, I was getting ready to say Dust in the Wind, um, Blowing in the Wind. When it starts off that line, how many roads must a man walk down 
before you call him a man. How many roads? And Sam Cooke was both inspired and, and slightly ashamed that a white boy from Minnesota understood the struggle to that level, was writing about it, and was having success. Because that was what Sam was afraid of, that if he wrote about the struggle, if he wrote about what it was really like, that he would lose his place, that he would lose his popularity, that he would lose his money, that he would lose big time. But it was after that night that he would write his song, Change is Gonna Come. Y'all know it, right? It was born by a river in a little tent. And I've been running like that river ever since. You get that same sense of urgency, that same sense of something has to change. Where are we going? Where are we going? Malcolm uh, would later be assassinated. And, and two days before that, two days before that, he said this, it is a time for martyrs now. And if I am one, if I am to be one, it will be for the cause of the brotherhood. That's the only thing that can save this country. It's the only thing. Malcolm was willing to give up his life for something beyond himself. Jesus has this interaction now. John has gone to prison. He's out in Galilee and he's going to call his first followers. His first followers. So he goes and he finds Simon and Andrew, their brothers. Now, Andrew had already been a disciple of John the Baptist. Now, John is in prison, so Andrew's trying to figure out where, what's happening here. Where do I go? What's going on? Simon is the one that we will know as Peter. Peter is a man full of energy. Now, Peter is the first one who, who will say, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the one. He's the one who will say, I'll never deny you. He's the one who, when the guards come, will wield a sword and chop off a man's ear. Peter is a man ready for a fight. He's a man full of energy. And he is a fisherman. And I would suspect something about Peter, if you got to know Peter, is that Peter was probably scheming about a way in which we could get rid of the Romans so that he wouldn't have to keep paying that tax. You know, that extra tax that the empire was putting on him and his family, on their community, on their fishing business, on their livelihood. This was the way they survived. Every day. This is their business. This is how they provide. And there's an empire taking that from them. And Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And they leave their nets behind and they follow him. And it feels like the way Mark says it, it's like, let's go. Let's go. Now, <clears throat> for us to really get into Peter, I want us to just unpack a few things that happened for Peter later on in the Gospel of Mark. When we get into chapter 10 of the Gospel of Mark, Listen to what Peter says. 
Now, what has just happened is a rich young man has come and he has fallen at the feet of Jesus. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, I've done everything that the law tells me to do. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to this rich man who has everything, he says, you have everything, but you lack one thing. There's just one thing you lack. And that is to sell everything and give it to the poor. So Peter's sitting there and he hears the story. The man who hears the story is broken by the story. Peter's sitting back, he hears the story. And this is what he says to Jesus. Listen, dude, we left everything to follow you. We left our community. We left our boats. We left our nets. We left it all behind. We left our way of income, our source of, of sustainability. We left it all behind to come and follow you. Certainly that story doesn't have any implication to me. You're not asking for more from me, are you, Jesus? I've done enough for you. And Jesus responds, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or friends for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is saying, yes, you have left something behind. Yes, I am calling you to leave things behind. But I'm going to give you more than you ever imagined. I'm going to introduce you to a new story. I'm going to introduce you to a new reality that this world has not let you in on. What is that reality, Jesus? Two chapters before this, the disciples noticed there was a large crowd, about 5,000 plus or something. And they said, Jesus, look, the people are looking really hungry, dude. We got to feed them. What do we have to feed these people? What are, they're getting thirsty. He's like, dude, how much bread do we have? How many fish do we have? They, they scrounge up some bread. They scrounge up two fish or something, not very many. And by the end, everybody's fed. And Jesus sends them out to pick up the leftovers. The leftovers. What's the message? And they, they talk to Jesus about the story. And they're like, Jesus, we still don't get it. What, what is going on? What are you trying to teach us? He's like, you don't see it? You don't see where this is going? You don't see the new reality that I'm opening up for you, people of God? And in chapter 12, he'll be asked about paying taxes. He says, give me the coin. What's the image on the coin? It's Caesar. So just give it back to Caesar. Give it to him. That's his image. Jesus knows something. That he's moving these men into. He's not teaching them to chase the coins of Caesar anymore, the images of Caesar. He's, he's teaching them to chase the images of God, to chase after people, the hearts of people. Why? To catch them. 
and to introduce them to this new reality of Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom that he's bringing. And it is a kingdom of what? It is a kingdom of abundance. It is a kingdom of abundance. <coughs> this is this new reality. This is where I'm going, Peter. This is where I'm taking you. And he tells this other little story there about this widow. It's the same chapter uh, where he tells the story about paying taxes. He tells this story about this widow. You just imagine this little old lady. You know, she's barely making it in there. Making it into the temple. She's got two coins. Jesus says she puts the two coins in. It's all she has. And she gave more than everybody else. What does she know about? She knows about the kingdom of abundance. She has met a God who will provide for her. It is at this time that we'll be taking up the offering. I'm just kidding. Um, this is the thing that Jesus is teaching his followers. And they're slow to get it. Peter is so slow to get it. From the narrative of scarcity to the reality of abundance, from the fear that drives greed to the faith that fuels generosity. I said this last week during the offering. I said, there is something the world can never take from you. And that is your generosity. You can always give. You can always give. And Jesus is calling us to do this, a generosity of grace, a generosity of life, a generosity of love, that this is what captures the hearts of people, that this is what we are longing for, and that we are to be bringing this reality into this world that has bought into another narrative. And let me tell you that if you live this generosity out, it is a hazard to your health here. They want to take Jesus' life. They might want to take your whole life. Now, right after this interaction uh, that happened in chapter 10 with the rich young man, uh, Peter has this, the question with Jesus, and, and we shift from an economic question, which is that question we just and I answered as far as where is Jesus taking us? Where are we being released to? Where is it that he's wanting us to go? To go towards generosity with everything you have. Go towards it. He's now switching the question. He gets switched there in chapter 10 uh, to a question about power. You, you could even say it's a political question. Uh, in that same chapter, and, and this is what James and John ask. Those are the next characters we're going to run into here in this section. This is what James and John ask. Jesus, we have a request for you. Chapter 10, verse 35 to 37. Can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? Can we be your top advisors, Jesus? Can we watch out for our people? They want to be in a position of power. So they can watch out for their people, but also so that they can have the power. 
This is their question. I mean, this is 10 chapters into the journey with Jesus, and this is what they're asking. We want to sit at the place of power. And Jesus calls them together, calls all of them together. And he says, first of all, I can't do that. But secondly, if you want to be great in this new kingdom, this new kingdom of generosity, this new kingdom that is full of abundance, if you want to be great, then be the least. If, if you want to be at the top, be at the bottom. Serve. Serve. That is what this kingdom is about. Going back to the song that I had, we don't have to pull it up again, but the song lyric, that everything would be revealing the heart of God, the nature of God. Some of us still don't realize that the God we follow, the God we serve, is the God who serves us. Out of abundance, that he serves us, that he gets down on his knees, he washes our feet. We cannot hardly comprehend that someone with power over us would use it to be so kind, so gentle, so tender with us, would be so humble that all of our life would be revealing this God, this God of generosity, this God who serves. When we go back to that, to our text, the original text, it says, without delay, Jesus calls them and they leave their boat, their father, and their hired hands behind to follow Jesus. They are entering in to a life of vulnerability, and they don't realize it yet. They're thinking there's going to be a payoff of power, that Jesus is going to give them a place of power, that they're going to make sacrifices to have a place of power. And Jesus is saying, the reason you're making sacrifices, the reason you left it all behind, is to follow me into a way of vulnerability. You know that word, vulnerable. It comes from the Latin word, to be woundable. That is the God we serve. That is the God we serve. He is not impenetrable. The, the, the Bible actually says that Jesus still carries the scars. That the God we follow is a God who would become a baby. He's a God who would build friendships and have many of them leave him, betray him, walk away. That he would be betrayed that he would be humiliated, that he would come to his own and they wouldn't recognize him, that he would come to heal and they would take his life, that he would come to bring generosity. Jesus comes in such a way. And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple." must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What good is it for someone to gain the whole kingdom? What good is it for someone to gain the power of all the nations or just one nation? If you forfeit your soul, 
Don't forfeit your soul. Christ came to ransom our souls, our lives. He gave up his life for us so that we would be caught up in this story, this narrative of generosity, of abundance, and of service. That is the call of the church. I know there's a lot of things happening here in this nation right now. We're talking about your call as the church. Your call is about this kingdom, not any other. This is the call that Christ has. Let's go.